Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Where are you at in Euphoria? Big news. I'm already on season two. I think I'm halfway through the episode. Oh man, where did I leave off? Where did I leave off? Has Rue gotten contact with this like drug dealer woman? Oh my God. That's so weird you said that because that is where I left off. Really? Okay. I literally left off. Now it's all coming back to me. I had to like close my laptop right when Rue was at the drug dealer's house talking to her about her business proposition with her little blazer on okay okay perfect i won't say anything don't spoil it for me oh and the soundtrack the soundtrack's amazing so guys i follow purse on spotify so i see all the stuff she's listening to and it's really exciting she has great taste in music and she's been listening a lot to a playlist called your life is an a24 movie yes and I have been listening to that playlist, and it's like the only thing on repeat on my Spotify, like all day while I'm working, while I'm working out, everything. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, go to Spotify and search Your Life is an A24 movie. It's perfect. I love having it on. Like anytime I have someone over, I'm making dinner, I'm doing work, like the, all the songs are so perfect, and it's very fitting towards an A24 movie. Yes. Oh my God, it's so fitting. And it's not just like, it's a bunch of obscure songs you might have never heard before. And then it's a whole bunch of like classics and and songs you know and love, but you are unexpected. So when they come on, you kind of lose your mind a little bit. Yes. Oh my God. Nice catch. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your musical prowess with me. You must, at first were you like, oh my God, did Persis make this playlist? And then you were like, never mind. No, no, no. I knew from the jump you couldn't have made such a good playlist. Well. Except one playlist in particular, a playlist that's called It's Cold and I'm Gay. Yeah. And Sarah, why are we making a playlist called It's Cold and I'm Gay? We are making this playlist because, guys, you girls have some exciting news. We just dropped on Friday, the Friday before you're hearing this, our first little baby merch collection. It is a little baby one. It's so it's cute. It's very baby. It's super cute. It's like a, li- like a little baby baby. And we're calling the collection It's Cold and I'm Gay. We're so excited. We've wanted to do this for pretty much since day one. And we've been like slowly, quietly working away at it, trying to figure out like what we wanted it to look like and what we wanted to do with it. And it's, like we said, very small. It's two beanies and a sweater. All of them are designed to just make you feel like so cozy and warm and cute during these cold winter months if you are in the Western Hemisphere. I know we got some fans in uh, Australia and New Zealand, so you guys are just like enjoying the end of summer. No big deal. But that's why we called it It's Cold and I'm Gay. 
because it's cold. And uh, some of us are getting a little gay. <laughs> yeah, like AKA me. Yeah, AKA like most people who listen to this podcast, and we love y'all. And one thing that we are very excited about, and something that is very important to both Sarah and I, is that with this launch, all the proceeds from this will be donated to two LGBTQ plus activations that we both absolutely love and support. Mm-hmm. And that is going towards P Flag Canada and Casey House. PFLAG Canada is Canada's only national organization that offers peer-to-peer support that strives to help all Canadians with issues of sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. So the way PFLAG works is it's all volunteer run. It's pretty amazing. And they have chapters all across the country. So major cities in every single province and territory. And you can find events, support, counseling, one-on-one guidance, resources in your local area. Basically, PFLAG is just there to support you in any way they possibly can with whatever you're navigating at the time. And if that means maybe you are a queer youth with an unsupportive family or something like that you can go to PFLAG for support and for community. Um, or maybe you're, maybe you're struggling just with figuring out your gender identity. There are people you can talk to and resources to help you kind of like navigate that experience. We just love that it's volunteer run and it's the only peer-to-peer support network in the country. So we're really excited to donate half of our proceeds to them. And our second one is Casey House, which is a hospital in Toronto, Ontario, Canada that specializes in HIV and AIDS care and it also provides home care and outreach programs. Casey House is actually very, very close to my heart because I actually used to help run the social media for Casey House. I want to say like it was in 2020, but then also in 2018. It was just so beautiful to kind of like work on a campaign that really felt like it was making a difference. My agency at the time had launched or helped launch an eatery called June's Eatery, where all the cooks were HIV positive. And we just wanted to, you know, smash that stigma where a lot of people are, you know, thinking they can catch HIV by touching someone who has HIV and eating the food of someone who cooked for them. It's very, very heartbreaking. And I would see it through social media, all the comments that were coming through and we'd have to monitor. I think um, the more awareness that is spread around HIV and AIDS, and the more we support Casey House, this stigma will eventually be smashed, I hope. So Sarah and I want to do as much as we can to just help contribute to them and all the hard work that they're doing. Yeah, totally. And we talked about this recently on it in case you missed it. HIV stigma is still alive and well. It still exists in our healthcare system and in just our culture at large but we want to make it super clear like hiv is not a queer disease it's not a gay disease actually i just saw the other day that now the percentage of straight people who are hiv positive is has now surpassed the percentage of gay people so this disease is completely blind to your sexual identity but we also acknowledge that casey house is an incredible organization for the queer community to to reach out to if they need any support or healthcare or guidance if they do struggle with AIDS or know someone who does. So we're going to give the other half to them and we're super stoked. Like we wanted to do something that like gave back in a monetary way to our community and the 
organizations that are making an impact out there while we do our little part on this podcast to like get voices out there and make you guys feel like you're part of a community and like you're seen that you're loved and that's really important but we also thought why not dabble a little bit in like spreading the love a little further Mm -hmm. there's nothing that makes me happier honestly same and look okay so i know you guys can't see because it's a podcast but this merch is pretty cute i'm not even going to lie to you guys so we have the two beanies there's a gray beanie this beanie is the title beanie the titular beanie if you will it's called the it's cold and i'm gay beanie super cute really simple it's like a dark gray with white embroidered across the front that says girl on girl and then we have a bright highlighter yellow called the be my honey beanie how cute is that you can give it to your honey um or as give a it gift. to kaylani or kaylani you know what i'm saying um because we like our girls just like we like our honey and it has like a bright pink girl on girl across the front i love the yellow hat that might be my fave and then we have the Cozy Co's Crew, which is just like literally the most comfortable sweater I've ever owned in my life. It's black and then it has white writing across the chest that says girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on girl. Because in case you can't, can't get enough. enough. <laughs> no, we just want more girl on girl action. It's also unisex. So it's a great fit for anyone, no matter their gender identity. And um, it does run like a little big, would you say? Like it's an oversized crew. I would say so. Like I'm wearing a medium right now and I would say this fits quite like baggy on me. Whereas I, although I do feel like a small might be a little bit more tight fitting. So it kind of depends, but I think the medium is definitely my, my go-to and Sarah's wearing a large. Yeah. And I like the large, the large is like quite large on me. Like it goes a little longer. It's like definitely very oversized, cute baggy. So if that's the look you want, maybe like go up that size so that you can be it can be nice and oversized on you. But the hats are just one size fits all. So if you have like a really big head, sorry, it might not fit you. That's the only thing we <laughs> discriminate against is big heads. I'm sorry. We don't know what to do. Honestly, I'm kidding because I have a really big head and this hat fits perfectly. It's so comfy. It's not too tight. It doesn't cut off my circulation. And I look kind of cute. What do you think, Purse? Do I look cute? We both look really adorable right now and I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud of us. We hope you guys like the merch. If you have any questions about it, about it, I was going to say about us. If you have any questions about us, like please ask. But also any questions about the merch, just shoot us a little message. Shoot us a DM. We're here to help. We have an Etsy shop set up so you can um, go there and order right through Etsy. Ship it to your house and know that all the proceeds are going to some really great organizations that are helping the queer community. Thanks, guys. We hope you like it. And send us pictures. Don't oh, forget to send us pictures. Yes. Oh my God, so true. Um, Purse, what are we talking about today? We're pretty excited for this topic. We are. This is a very, very big topic. And it's actually something I really didn't think of and I hadn't even heard of the term. Sarah and I on today's episode are going to be diving into compulsory heterosexuality. And do you know what the fuck that means? Because like, I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea. I had never heard the term before. And to be honest, I'm still not totally clear. Like the in this episode, you're basically going to be like teaching me what you've learned about it. And I'm going to learn in real time with you guys. So I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I feel like, and we'll get into this as we dive in a little bit more, there's some like 
Google Doc that lives out in the world that I feel like so many lesbians know exist. Um, and the only reason I'm saying that is like since I've looked into this Google Doc where it totally explains verbatim what compulsory heterosexuality is and like the signs of it. How do you know if you're a lesbian? I'm confused about my feelings for men. All this stuff. It's really big. It's like long. It's like the lesbian Bible, essentially. I guess. I love that. I feel like a lot of lesbians in particular really do know about this doc. But the reason I found out about this doc and this term is because I was actually listening to the podcast She, Her, They, which I absolutely love. It's hosted by... Lauren Abedini, who goes by Kittens. For you guys who don't know her, I absolutely love her. Um, Sarah's Sarah's smiling. I really love her. No, you, yeah, you're in love with her. And it's great. Yeah, I don't want to scare her, though, in case she ever actually wants to hang out with us on the pod. Yeah, we won't scare you, but one time Persis did stalk you all the way to L.A., and went to one of your events and took a picture with you in the background and pretended the picture was with you. Okay, the way Sarah described it, I'm going to save myself, is so creepy. I didn't stalk her. I was already going to LA on a trip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Noticed she was going to be at this event for Adidas. And my cousin and I were like, why don't we go? There's going to be drinks. There's going to be food. She's DJing. Let's go. I also took an edible that night, so your girl was feeling some type of way. So um, that's why. And I took the photo, and she was in the background because we thought it was so funny. My little high mind and my cousin. For anyone who needs to know who Gabe is, he is the biggest troll I've ever met in my life. So he's such a troll. It's so true. You could only imagine how I ended up in that position. But kittens, you're lovely. Yeah, you're loved, and. That picture is so cute because you can tell you're so high. <laughs> Your eyes. Persis get because Persis has such big eyes, you get like quite noticeable high eye. Yeah, because they get smaller. They get noticeably very small. Right. And they already started big, so it's so much more noticeable. Whereas I feel like people with smaller eyes, like it's almost less noticeable if they're super high. Yeah. But you were having the time of your life. I'm so happy you went. Had such a good time. And I got to talk to her and say I was from Toronto, but once again, yes. I was really high. So, kittens, I'm really sorry <laughs> if you remember the <laughs> tiny five foot one girl from Toronto with red eyes. That was me. I'm sure she loved it. She was like, Who's this cutie? Who's this cutie cute? Um, but anyway, sorry, kind of uh, got a little distracted. But everyone, go listen to She, Her, They. Kittens is awesome. And she's a DJ a lesbian, a feminist, and a producer. She's all the things. But I was especially intrigued because Kittens had Kehlani on her show. And the episode highlights Kehlani's journey on coming out as a lesbian in 2021. Uh, She goes into her gender identity. And I know Kehlani goes by she, they at this moment. So, and uh, how she's finding peace within herself. This is where the topic of compulsory heterosexuality came about. And Kehlani actually mentioned that her therapist had shared this term with her and this info with her because on the episode, it was kind of funny the way she said it, but she's like, I'm talking to my therapist, like telling her all about these like situations I find myself in and my, my feelings are this and this. Her therapist just simply goes, Kehlani, do you think you could just be gay? 
just like said it in like such a natural way and Kaylon yeah. is like oh like I don't know and she explained uh, compulsory heterosexuality see this is why therapy is great I agree yes sometimes you just need someone to tell you that you're gay yeah and I kind of also have been in that position where someone can say like well, do you think you're gay? And then it can kind of like set off these little alarms in your head because of the compulsory heterosexuality component. Like, what do you right. mean? No, I've grown up in such a society that kind of forces straight upon us or I look a certain way. And I know Kaylani at many points in her life also felt this way because there were times she was very femme presenting, but she knew she had this attraction towards women, but she felt like she needed to be with a man because of her like the dynamics of her growing up all this stuff but Mm -hmm. the google doc is awesome sarah and i will link this in the show notes but they basically have to categorize it because there's so much can i ask you a question first yeah who who made this google doc oh that's a good point let me pull that up i love this google doc so much but there's no like credit to who made who made it It just, someone just made, it just exists. I think it was made by an anonymous user. Okay, look what I found. Before we dive into like what this doc is, it might be cool to talk about like where the hell it came from because now it's like this whole thing in the lesbian zeitgeist. But there's a Vice article called How Tumblr's Am I a Lesbian Google Doc Became Internet Canon. Creator of the doc, Angelie Luz, so her name's Angelie Luz, says she made the document as a tool of self-reflection for herself and others. In January 2018, a Tumblr user with the handle at CyberLesbian posted a public Google Doc on her blog titled Am I a Lesbian? It's 30 pages, and it offers a roadmap for women questioning their sexual identities. We're going to get into all of that now. Um, But the doc has become something of a cult classic on lesbian internet um, over the years. Until now, the author, Angelie Luz, uh, was mostly anonymous. Wow. Isn't that wild? But now now there's like articles about her and stuff. But I love the intention behind it. Just really quick, she said that the document emerged from her own journey of self-discovery. I realized I loved women when I was a teenager, but I never quite knew if my attraction for men was real or a social construct I took in as a facet of my identity. I started researching compulsory heterosexuality and found that many lesbians had the same experience I did. I created the document as a tool of self-reflection for myself and others. Angelie, I love that. How sick is that? And then it became like a, like a sensation. The Bible. Yep. Wow. Okay. I love that. Thank you, Anjali, for bringing this doc into our lives. Persis, what's inside this document? It's basically sectioned off into different categories because like Sarah said, it's about 30 pages. So it's a little bit of a deep read. But the first section is, am I a lesbian? Plain and simple. Am I a lesbian? Let me read and find out. How do I know if I'm a lesbian? But I like fictional men and male celebrities but I think I've liked men before. Conflicting feelings about men. And also it goes into the signs of compulsory heterosexuality. So your attraction to men, relationships with men, sex and intimacy with men, your early interest in women, the straight version of you, which I found was very interesting, Mm. exploring attraction for women, 
gender feelings and then considering lesbianism. Then it talks attraction versus compulsory heterosexuality. So the feelings you get with attraction, which is like nervousness, which a lot of us do feel, or maybe blushing. Yeah, you do a lot of that around me. <clears throat> I blush a lot and I get really nervous. That's I know. Sure. I know you do. Um, hypothetical attraction, which I've actually think I've really had before, and sexual fantasies. Hypothetical attraction. Interesting. Okay. And then lastly, it kind of conclu- concludes to, you might be a lesbian if, and then it goes into quite a bit. I love how in-depth it is. Like it, this document really is like an academic paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As it should be. As it should be. Like there, th- this type of information should be like presented in this way in a very like easy to digest but well-researched, like peer-reviewed source. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved this if I was in high school. Like when did this come out, does it say? Oh my God. 2018 was when it was posted on Tumblr. So you were way out of high school, my friend. Many years out of high school. Many and many. But can you imagine if you had this in high school and you could read from top to bottom and probably answer so many questions that were just like rolling around in your head? Well, yeah, because I feel like I would have seen these things that at the time I felt were so specific to me, but then see, oh my God, no, apparently this is so normal that you're feeling this way, yet you're still feeling conflicted. Because I was texting Sarah earlier today just being like, I used to feel that my feelings towards men were like only things I would feel. I had this perception that everyone just knew who they were and I was sitting here just always confused. And sometimes I'm still confused. Like I really actually had a moment where I was feeling a little confused like three days ago and I really had to like sit and think about it and then accept my feelings of confusion and be like, that's okay. You don't always have to have the answers. No, and most people don't. The, The idea that we all know what we want is an illusion And especially in high school, I think it's a really like in your face illusion because everyone's trying so hard to make it seem like they know what they want and like they know what they're doing. I I do think like if you had the the tools in your hand at the time to just like think a little bit more, to broaden your mind a little bit about, about this, you could have at least spotted the compulsory heterosexuality and then gone from there. Mm -hmm, That would have been like truly life-changing because I only really even thought about, well, internalized homophobia, living in a heteronormative society, recently compulsory heterosexuality. Like I said, I didn't even know that was like a term. I only discovered all of that like only in 2019 onwards. I didn't really think about the society I lived in and how straight was kind of like pushed on me. Yeah. So tell everyone what compulsory heterosexuality means. So it's basically what it sounds like. It's just that being straight is something our culture just tries to force on us. And the document does explain that compulsory heterosexuality affects people of every gender. We've been kind of focusing on it as like the lesbian uh, diary. I was going to say Bible diary, whatever. Dear diary. Dear diary. (laughs) Today I saw a boy. (laughs) For all our OGs who know that song, please let us know. OGs. Yeah, we're not even going to explain any further. If you know, you know. But um, it's been studied that it's something that actually really affects women even more. And it's because compulsory heterosexuality ties in with the misogyny that causes women's sexualities or like 
how you probably even hear so many women are like defined by their relationships with men. And that's like society putting that on us. That's not like, right. that's not like internally who we are, you know? Um, For sure. And I mean, it goes on like, we're taught that from such a young age, like making men happy is our priority. We're dressing up for men. We're looking pretty for men. We strive for a man's love more than anything yeah. else. Uh, I actually didn't even think about this either, but like when I'd see magazines in the stores when I was younger, Cosmo or whatever, and it was all like sex tips on how to please your man, you know, or like how yeah. to make him fall in love with you. Oh my God. I remember watching How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when I was really young. And like the whole premise of the movie, of course, because everyone's seen it because it's a classic, is like here are all the things that you – need to make sure as a woman you don't do, otherwise you're gonna lose the man. And even like the movies that we would watch from a very young age, right? Like Disney movies. All of the Disney princesses are on a, at that time, I know that it's a little different now, they've like broadened their horizons a bit, but when we were kids, all the princesses were just trying to get the prince. Like that ultimately was their goal. Arabe Arabelle. <laughs> That's my boss's name. <laughs> Maybe cut that out. Arabelle. I wonder if she listens. Does my boss listen? That'd be embarrassing, actually. Ariel literally gives her voice away so that she can, like, woo the prince. So, is like, is that kind of an example of compulsory heterosexuality in terms of what society puts on us? Like, what what the media tells us we need to be as women? Yeah. I mean, I also think like us as kids watching that movie, we're just, I mean, I'm only thinking from my perspective as like a young person, like watching these Disney movies, like having no idea what she likes other than her love for Phyllis, right? Everyone uh, go back to episode with Shannon Burns. I I do a little deep dive on my love oh, for Phyllis oh. when I was a young kid. Oh, I, I forgot. We gave her a code name and I was like, Persis, you're saying her name wrong. <laughs> I was like, clearly you didn't like her that much if you can't even remember her name. Okay, no, we gave her a great code name. Yes, Phyllis. You had some feelings about Phyllis for sure. I did. And I that's actually kind of a good example of like me being so young and not really knowing that. But what I was seeing in the media was like, princess and princes. And that's all I was consumed about was like these, you know, Disney characters falling in love. And oftentimes, like Sarah just mentioned, it's a lot of the times the women had to like change a part of themselves to be the man or it always to be the man. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> to be with the man. That's what it should have been. That's what it should have been. But uh, yeah, it's, it's society. Like they're showing it right in our faces. That's what we're consuming as kids. Right. And so that that impacts how we all think about our own sexual identity without even maybe realizing it. Yep. Like straight is the default. It, what, like why was everything totally. so heteronormative too, right? Like we didn't see any Disney princesses or Disney princes like outwardly being with the same gender. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh my, of course not. We still don't. 
Yeah, we still don't. Or it's, It still would be a big deal if there was like a gay Disney princess. I know. Like maybe they think Elsa's low-key gay, but is that also because Elsa didn't have a love interest in the movie? So they're assuming exactly. Elsa's a lesbian? Right. And even if Elsa is a lesbian, it's all subtext. She doesn't ha- like she doesn't have like a she doesn't get married to a woman at the end. You know what I mean? Like so why like even the one Disney gal pal who might be a lesbian is just like it's assumed maybe and it's not outward. So we still don't have that. And you're right. Heterosexuality is the default. Um, and I think even though we have made a lot of progress over the years and the generation coming up is very different. I do think heterosexuality still is the default today. It still is. It mm-hmm. still very much is. As much as like we've made so much progress and things are changing and we're seeing much more rep, it's still it's still out there. We're still living in it. Yeah, we are. And we're trying to we're all trying to change that. I think like Movies and TV shows are trying to change that. And the generation coming up of influencers and like they're trying to change it as well. And like representation and exposure like ultimately will change the culture. But I think this compulsory heterosexuality, this idea of that is like just kind of like looming. And it's probably what makes it harder for people like you or takes it takes people like you longer to figure out what you're feeling inside. Yeah, actually, um, there was something else that I read in the document that really resonated with me. It said that compulsory heterosexuality is the voice in my head that says, I must really be het even when I'm in love with a woman. It's what forces lesbians to struggle through learning the difference between what you've been taught. So like that's being with men but what you actually like want. And which is actually why so many lesbians have dated men at some point in their lives. And I remember thinking that all the time, like even when I was in love with a woman, clearly, like it was so obvious the times I was like in love or infatuated with women, I still thought I was more hetero. I was like, Mm. no, this can't be right. Like maybe I'm just excited or this is like a new feeling, but I was actively going out with men. I wasn't pursuing women. I would have like massive crushes on girls and then totally shut that away and just go on like lots of dates with guys. Yeah, it was almost like instead of taking the time to like sit and ask yourself, wait, what do I actually want? Like, what is my body actually telling me? Your your brain was doing all the work. Like, your your brain was going into overdrive to, like, supersede whatever your gut and your body was saying. Because your brain is like, nope, heterosexuality is normal. Heterosexuality is what I'm supposed to be striving for in life. Even though, even if you're, you logically know, you intellectually know, of course that's not true. Your brain is like programmed that way since you were a kid. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's neuroscience. Like what you've learned growing up has created like pathways in your brain. Yep. And it's also all I saw within my friend groups. And it's like, yeah. I didn't see any representation when I was growing up in Whitby and going to a high school with <clears throat> such a straight high school that even a few years into living in the city, 
I still had so much unlearning to do, even though I was in Toronto out of all places. Totally. Well, I also think that compulsive heterosexuality sounds like a way for people to protect themselves too, right? Like if you give in to that and you you believe that heterosexuality is what you should be aiming for, it's almost like you're trying to protect yourself too from like being cast out of the in-group, like not belonging or being different or not doing the thing that's supposed that you're supposed to do or not being normal. All these things that obviously aren't true, but it's almost like a protection method because at the end of the day, all humans, we, we want to be part of a tribe. Like we're wired that way genetically. So to do something that's not the norm in the back of your brain feels like scary and like it will leave you unprotected out there in the social world. Yep. And I felt that majorly, especially like within my first few years of living in Toronto, I didn't have a lot of queer friends or anything like that. So it felt extra scary to be like, okay, I think this is what I'm feeling. And yeah, I just didn't have that confidence yet. And I was also confused, which I'll get into later. But like, I was also confused because sometimes I did like men. Like sometimes I genuinely did. No, totally. And I think that's important. Like, I don't think like even this this lesbian document like like compulsory heterosexuality does not instantly mean that like you've been brainwashed and allowed yourself to think you were straight when really you're gay like it can be a lot more nuanced than that and it was for you too like yes this like as we're going to get into all of these things in this document you really like they applied to you and you really related to them but that doesn't mean that you weren't also attracted to men at times too mm-hmm. or that you were like super hiding a part of yourself and ignoring a part of yourself it has layers and that's okay yep very much so there's so many layers and cuz you have crushes on boys and i was witness yes to those like you cried over bobby I cried over Bobby. You even threw your cell phone across the room. I threw my Bobby. I threw my um it was my eyeliner across the Sorry, room. Sorry, your eyeliner. Sorry. And then you smashed a vodka bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I remember he brought over a bottle of Grey Goose for him and I to like have one night. And when he broke up with me, I took that bottle and smashed it in the alleyway. And like Yeah, glass, you did. Glass flew everywhere. <laughs> Didn't we write with Sharpie on the bottle, like, boys suck, and then we smashed it? Like a ceremonial smashing? Yeah. (laughs) Guys, you did not want to know us when we were 19. No, you did not. And, like, someone allowed us to just, like, live on our own in a big city. It was was wild times. I'm not going to lie to you. It sounds very classic, like, (laughs) literally two young girls, like, living in the city. Like, boys suck. Out of vodka bottle. You were genuinely sad and you were genuinely mad because you had genuine feelings for this guy. And so anyone who doubts I was there just to witness the um, the affair unfold. Well, yeah. And I mean, I'll still to this day, I know we laugh about Bobby. Bobby, I'm sorry if you're out there. I do laugh about you, but it's not out <laughs> of it's not out of like hate or anything it's because we were both so young and it was a funny situation but my feelings for him were very real to this day i will still tell you i really liked bobby and there are a couple other guys i could name on my 
on my little hand that I definitely really liked. There was another man I cried over. There was. Really badly. And I didn't expect to. But long story short, even when I was in high school, I think I mentioned this maybe like our very first episode of Girl on Girl. I was pretty boy crazy. I had crushes on so many boys in grade eight, grade nine, grade seven. That's why it was such a confusing time for me. It's not like it's not like I just woke up one day and was like, all of this makes sense. You know what I mean? It took it took years. Of course. And even the sections that you read out from the doc the Google Doc, um, like one of them is, but I think I've liked men before. But I like fictional men and male celebrities. You've talked about this on the podcast before. Like you used to love Channing Tatum, for example. Like genuinely, it wasn't like you were just fantasizing kind of. Like you had a real crush on this celebrity and you thought he was super attractive. But that's normal, really normal. And it doesn't mean that you were lying to yourself or that or that you were doing anything wrong. You were just, it was just your journey. Yes. And you still look at Channing Tatum and you're like, he's hot. Oh my God. There's so many men I look at now and I think they are so hot, but that doesn't mean I want to go and sleep with Channing Tatum. Like I don't have that like urge necessarily. Maybe I'd make, I'd make out with Channing. Oh, hell yeah. If Channing was, if Channing was over here (laughs) and wanted to make out with me, like Channing, oh, but I'd want to, oh, but he's with Zoe Kravitz and I might want to make out with Zoe Kravitz more. I was just going to say that if you had a shot with Channing, I would honestly give you the advice to not ruin your chances with Zoe. Say no thank you to Channing so that like Zoe won't feel weird about making out with you. True. Okay. That is very Or if they're open to a third or whatever, then that's perfect. (laughs) Then you get both. Done. (laughs) Channing and Zoe. They are like the hottest couple. He's like fulfilling my childhood dream. I was like all about Channing as a kid. And Zoe is fulfilling your like future dream of what you want (laughs) in your life. In reality, I don't think I could be a third in their relationship because I would just truly fall in love with Zoe. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't think that would work either. I think that you would just have to like date Zoe and Channing would have to be okay with it. Yeah. Sorry about it. Okay, Persis, so now we know what compulsory heterosexuality means. We know a little bit about this Google Doc, this lesbian Bible. What impact did compulsory heterosexuality have on you in particular? It had a very, very big impact on me. Talking about queer experiences wasn't really a thing unless it was like I knew one of my cousins was gay. He was probably the only like in real life rep I saw or... If in high school, I will say this too, I didn't know any queer women in high school. Um, I don't even know if anyone was like out truly, like that's how straight my high school was. We did have some gay men that I knew of, but once again, that felt very separate from me because I don't identify with gay men. So that's all I really knew. And one other thing that I actually realized was when I was getting a little bit older, especially like... 50 and 16 and kind of like growing into my features and starting to look like (laughs) not like the girl with braces and big lips and like awkward looking girl. You know what I mean? Like I was really growing into my own. Uh I would hear so many comments from like my friends' moms or like older women in my life, my family members being like, oh, we can't wait till you finally get a boyfriend or, Mm -hmm. oh, the guys must be into you or you which boys are you into? All this stuff. Yep. 
And that made me believe that I need to be with a guy. Of course. This happens all the time. This didn't really happen to me very often because I wasn't like a soup. I wasn't very cute. Like growing up, like even in my teen years, like it wasn't a, I wasn't the kind of kid that like old women would be like, wow, you must be a heartbreaker. Like the boys must love you. Like that was never my role. But I would hear people would say that to like my friends all the time, like my really pretty friends. And like it was always just like, Exactly like you said, the boys must be crazy about you was always the sentiment. It was like, you must be driving the boys crazy. You must be getting so much attention. And in like with such a positive light to it, it was like, that's great. That means you're doing it right. That means that you have a leg up in the world because you're an attractive woman who boys might like. And that like all circles back to what you were saying about how like why compulsory heterosexuality is tends to be so much more of an issue for women is because we live in like a misogynistic society where like our main goal is to be attractive for men whether we think it is or not yeah and that's that was my whole world and even like when I started to really like become close friends with a lot of guys or we'd like start to hang out more often yet I had such a crush on Alice. Like I said, I was very closeted, but I didn't know. There were many moments in the summer. I remember her and I would hang out with like a couple other girlfriends and it would be like a group of four boys and we'd all be hanging out. But it was all like, oh, like which boy do you like? Like trying to set up like the boys and the girls essentially. When really deep down, I think like I only focused on Alice, but I didn't really know that. I was just so intrigued by her. And I even remember this one night we were playing the Ouija board and, and it was a bunch of people. Alice said to me, cause we were asking the Ouija board, like, who are, who are we going to marry? Like, who am I like spell out the name of the person I'm going to marry, et cetera. Yeah. And Alice, I remember looked at me and was like, what if they say we're going to marry each other? And I'm not going to lie. I was low key. Like I laughed, but deep down I thought I wouldn't be mad at that. Yep. But I laughed because I, at the time, had a crush on this other boy who was in the room with us. Mm-hmm. And I, I was feeling like I need to like him or it's only normal for me to like him. Mm-hmm. He's like sitting right across from me, but yet deep down, I'm like wanting to be close to Alice. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. And you probably didn't even, now you can look back and know with certainty that that was the thought you had. That was the feeling you had. But I bet you at the time, you might not have even been conscious about the fact that that was what you were thinking. Like, even if you did think it, you might not have even realized you were thinking it. You know what I mean? That's how deep compulsory heterosexuality runs. And compulsory heterosexuality is really hard to say because I know that I am like slurring it every time I say it. But I just wanted to say really quick what you're describing about feeling like you need to like the boy in the room with the Ouija board. I experienced that. Um, And I've talked about this before on the pod. Um, In the first episode, I I really dove into it. If you guys want to take a listen back to our very first episode, cute. Um, But growing up, I had to kind of ask myself like whether I liked boys or whether I liked girls or whether I liked neither because I wasn't really feeling anything for anyone. And but I felt like I had to like boys and I felt like I had to agree to say 
if a guy, if a boy asked me out on the playground, I had to say yes, and I had to date him, and I had to be a girlfriend, and inside, I was like, this doesn't feel right, I don't want to do this, and so my little tiny schoolyard relationships wouldn't last very long, because I would feel all weird and bad about it, and I'd like break up with them, but even as someone who ultimately um, turned out to be straight in my adult life, I experienced compulsory heterosexuality a lot when I was a kid. And it was the exact same feeling you just described of like, I'm supposed to have a crush on that boy. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to really like, you know, put my all into it, even though I'm not really feeling anything for this boy at all. I'm like convincing myself that I am. And, you know, the other girls in school, like maybe think I'm cooler because I have a crush on this boy and maybe the boy has a crush on me and like, Does it raise my social status or does it give me something to talk about with my friends? Or does it make me a better girl? Does it make me more pretty? Does it make me more funny? Like Desirable. Desirable, totally. This is like something that could impact anyone. Yep. No matter what the turnout of your sexual orientation is, that's so true. And I think that it causes so much unwanted anxiety. The fact like it kind of freaked you out when you were probably having these realizations of like, why am I not feeling anything for these people? When really, if we weren't pushed to be like, this is the norm, and maybe by the time you're a teenager, you should be wanting to have sex or you should be really, you know, feeling horny or whatever. It's like your hormones are raging. What if they're not? That's also okay. Right. Yeah. You don't have to think something's wrong with you. And see, like even you saying that now, it feels really nice to hear you say that now. Like I think the little girl in me or like the t- the preteen girl like kind of needs to hear that still because I was really like frustrated. I was like, why are all my friends like so boy crazy? And I'm clearly just pretending to be boy crazy. And I don't really care about any of these boys. <laughs> like eventually I did. There was a boy that I really cared about. And I was like, oh, that's how this feels. But like... I didn't care about any boys. I, I also didn't have feelings for any of the girls. Like, I just didn't care. <laughs> like, I had no hormones or raging. Nothing was happening. But I was also a late bloomer. Uh, bloomer. I was a late bloomer in puberty. Like, I developed very late. So, I mean, biologically, I was not interested in, like, finding a mate. I was just, like, I, I feel like I was in my childhood a lot longer, like, biologically and emotionally than other people were. But that's what's so funny to think about now is that I was like a very sexually charged young girl. Like truly 12, 12 year old me, 13 year old me was like so obsessed with the idea of sex and like all of my emotions. Well, this was before I met Alice, but all Mm. of my emotions towards Maybe I think Phyllis was maybe the only one. So that would have been years and years ago. But yeah. I was I was like, I can't wait to hook up with boys because I was like so attracted to Scott Speedman and Channing Tatum. And like that's Oof. who I would see. Mm-hmm. Or the boys in my grade. But that was also a fantasy that the yeah. document actually touches upon is like these sexual fantasies you have. And then you're not really fulfilling them yet. So it was only like this thought that I built up in my mind. But right. I also think like media made sex out to be this like crazy magical thing. And I think in my own head, I was like, oh, guy and a girl, you come together and it's just like this. Fireworks. Fireworks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when you do, you have these fantasies. And then when you do reach the age where you are actually thinking about having sex, it's like 
oh, now these fantasies like have to be reality and making crossing that bridge is like kind of scary and also not not reality because it's never going to be like your fantasies. And I think that just adds to the confusion you already have if you're like, wait, what's my sexual identity? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's it was very confusing. And um, there was something also that was said on Kittens' podcast. Many people in the queer community can relate to this. Your your confusion towards your attraction for men. So actually, recently, I was confused about my sexual attraction towards a certain man. Even though I do identify as being gay and I want to be with a woman at this point in my life, this is who I am and this is what I want ultimately. But this thought had come into my mind. Like I really was like, why am I like thinking this way? Because like it was, it came out of nowhere. Interesting. Okay, guys, this is new information to me. I don't know what, I don't know what she's about to say. It's because it happened literally like two days ago. I'm so excited. Okay, tell me more. It wasn't like me being like, I have feelings for this man or I have emotions for this man. It was purely a physical thought in my head that was like, hmm, I'm like looking at him differently. When I thought about this combo with kittens and Kehlani, I once again related to everything Kehlani said where she was like, I don't have these like emotions towards men. Like I really love women and I fall for women and I feel those like romantic connections with women. Okay. First of all, who was it? Tell me. <laughs> you have to tell me. You are going to die. Persis, tell me who it is right you now. You are going to die. <laughs> You're gonna die. You're gonna die a million deaths. Okay, I'm ready to die. I'm ready. Okay. I'm obviously bleeping this out. Oh my god! <laughs> but I have to. I wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. Okay. Okay, but okay. but I'm laughing because because I had this conversation with our friend Teen like two days ago, where I actually told her like the thought kind of came into my mind. Where I was like, I don't know why it it was so out of nowhere, and yeah, basically, Pod, you guys, this person and I do have a bit of a past, but and maybe that's why. Maybe it was like a sense of like something I know, right? But what's kind of funny is that from my last experience, I kind of like wasn't feeling it. It was like this kind of a reminder of when I would think about it. I would think about being with a man. It would happen once again. I was like. No, like I wouldn't not. live up to what you were thinking of in your head. No, because my body literally does have a bit of this like reaction. Like I do, it's literally like my body telling me something, but my mind was going through that scenario. I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe. But then again, I yeah. thought about it more and I was like, no, that's the thing. I, I would go back and forth, but it really only is yeah. – this particular person, because I think out of all the men I had like ex- had experiences with in the past, he was always someone I was the most like physically attracted to. So right. I think I would like think about him sometimes. I think it makes perfect sense. Even if you didn't have a past with this guy, it's completely normal, totally okay, not weird at all. I'm glad that you like acknowledged it and you, you you've been thinking about it and talking about it. Like that's all you can do with with like these thoughts. Like don't push them aside. Analyze what's happening. But I also think, and I saw, 
oh, I, I wish I could remember where it was, but I saw this really interesting post, or maybe it was an article, and it was talking about sex and why we can't, like, why is sex so closely tied to our identity? And why can't those two things be separate sometimes? Like, why can't sex just, why can't our sexuality and our sexual identity be two separate journeys that we navigate in two different ways? Like, sex at the end of the day is an act. Um, It's a feeling. It's a sensation. It's, um, like, exercise. And it's biological and sexual identity is so much so different it's emotional and it's it's less physical and so this thing that i was reading was just saying like i the writer was saying i think we would all really benefit from looking at sex the act as its own thing and celebrating it as its own thing and kind of like allowing ourselves to really enjoy that as its own thing and not let it get too tied with like who we are as a person or as a as a member of the queer community or whatever it is, whatever your identity is. Like these two things can actually be separate from each other. And I thought that was an interesting take. And I think it really relates to what you were feeling for this guy. Because who says that you can't feel sexually attracted to a man just because you identify as a gay woman? Sex is like a biological thing, like twirls. It's the biological thing happening in your body. And just like you said, those fantasies don't always live up to the hype for you. But what you emotionally really want is a relationship with a woman. And those two things can exist at the same time. Why not? 100%. 100%. And I love that because I think there was also this like when I thought about it recently – I was automatically like, what? Because I hadn't felt that in like, guys, truly like years. Were you, were you like freaked out? What was your immediate response? Um, not so much like freaked out, but I think it's because I was having a conversation with him, but in my head, I didn't feel the way how sometimes like when I've talked to guys I'm literally like friends with now, even if I went on like a date with them or whatever, because like that's usually how it ends up being is like I actually become like buddies with some of these guys, which actually is kind of funny. For sure. Or we just don't talk ever again. (laughs) One or the other. But with him, for some reason when I was chatting with him, it didn't feel so like buddy. But then again, I was like, But why? Because literally every other single man I've maybe had a past with, I wouldn't think that way. So Mm -hmm. that's the only reason why I thought about it. I was like, it just went through my head and I thought like, why am I not reacting in a way that I normally do with other men? I don't know. But anyway, wow, I'm getting so candid. Listen, that's what this podcast is about. Like, we have been way more candid than this, to be honest. That's true. And I think this conversation is a really important one, guys, because, like, it's a sexuality is a journey. It is not a one-stop destination. Oh, I made it. Now I know what's up. Like, that. Some for some people, maybe, but it doesn't have to be the way. And, like, we, it's okay to just, like, navigate what's happening and kind of enjoy the ride. I think this conversation is so entertaining and I think you're having a good time like figuring out that thought. Like it doesn't seem like you're scared of it. It seems like you're like, interesting. Let me dive into this a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't say scared is the right word because 
I still am so confident and I feel relief that I know what I want. But Mm -hmm. like I said, it had just been like years since the thought had even crossed my mind and it just came. And sometimes I'm like, life is so funny. And we're so funny. Like we grow and we change all the time. It doesn't inval it doesn't invalidate any part of us. No, and that feeling of me thinking about this guy, I didn't automatically think like, oh my God, Persis, but you're gay. I still was like, yeah, I'm hella gay. Like I really was like, I'm still gay. But yeah. you're you're a hot man. That's literally what I thought. A hundred percent. And he's a hot man that you have a past with. Yeah. I think it makes perfect sense. It really makes sense to me. I mean, I guess as a straight woman, it's obviously easy for me to like understand the feeling you were having. But I think it makes sense. And then what role does compulsive heterosexuality play in that, in this story? Is it like, does it tie into like the fantasies of men that you were talking about? Yeah, because I think that, man, it's so, it's, there's so much to unpack because I think it's a fantasy because these are similar thoughts that I would have during the time I was still like going on dates with men, you know, something would happen or I'd go out and we'd, we'd get a little bit more intimate and I'd feel it was like another reminder of my body shutting down. So Mm -hmm. that's why I was like, it's so interesting, but um, I think that's kind of where it ties in because I felt that like fantasy, like the male fantasy popped into my head. Right. And this is, might be an example where like, compulsive heterosexuality does create a lot of struggles but it also is just like uh, it's also okay i mean here's another thing though because like when i think about attraction to men too and i was reading this list of what angelie had put together she kind of laid out what the compulsory heterosexuality sign of being attracted to a man is so if you're kind of going through compulsory heterosexuality and you're feeling attractions towards a man or a man. Okay. So these are things that I actually really specifically could relate to. One of it was like deciding what guys you should be attracted to. And it's not necessarily like people you want to date, but it's like you have a little mental list of their attractive qualities. So like for this mm. example about this man, never in my – truly, I'm not saying I want to date him – but I have these like things about him that I'm like, that is attractive to me. Right. Like on a f- just purely like physical sense. Right. Mm-hmm. I would also do this too. And maybe who knows if this is like a thing popping up for me right now. I don't know. But you're like testing your attraction to, man- to men. But because like I see this conventionally attractive man, there's a part of me in my brain that thinks like I should be attracted to him. Right. So like dating someone just to see how you feel. That's what you mean by testing. We've talked about this on the pod before. When we first started living together, I would notice you doing that quite a bit. If you went on a first date with a guy and there weren't any sparks, but you would always want to go on a second date just to see. It was like you were testing if the second, will the second date magically make me feel like more attracted to this person? And it never did. No. Unfortunately for the men who loved you. No, it never did. The other thing was, was that when I was growing up, I was really obsessed with the idea of being with a man. I liked the way it almost looked. And I liked the idea of what people would think about me, possibly if I was dating a guy. Mm. And especially if the guy was like a really successful or good looking man. Yep. Interesting. Successful. Interesting. 
Um, by successful, I don't mean like, <laughs> I don't mean maybe like the definition of what a lot of people would think, meaning like rich or super high up in their position. I think I just meant more like they're motivated. They have goals. They're, they're accomplished. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the other thing is Angelie noticed, she did point this out in the list. I'm far more certain about being attracted to women than I am being attracted to men. So that was something that was always so clear to me. And I would say this all the time that I was more physically attracted to women. Right, right, right. But more emotionally or, or you felt emotions for men. But I'm wondering if that's like started to flip a little bit for you. Yeah. So over the years. It did, but it's not so black and white is because it's yeah. like, I wasn't feeling like emotions of like falling in love and wanting to be with these guys. I just liked these guys as people. I was confused as to why I didn't necessarily want to date them or do like romantic things for them. When I say I still felt like emotions or I didn't feel emotions, it's more like the emotions were lacking in the love department, but they weren't lacking in the, I really like spending time with you still. Interesting. Yeah, it isn't so black and white. Yeah. Um, I also, there were many times I was thinking I was just commitment phobic because I didn't want to be in a relationship with any of the guys I was dating, no matter how great they were. Oh, which obviously is so opposite of you. Yeah. Like you would marry Zoe Kravitz tomorrow. Yeah. Like you'd put a ring on it. 1000%. Commitment doesn't scare you. No, I'm, it doesn't. And I really realized commitment doesn't scare me when I really started to allow myself to want to be with girls because I thought I would Mm -hmm. want to date this girl. Like I went on dates with a girl last year or even like when I called my, the catalyst star was the catalyst. I Mm -hmm. wanted to date star, man. I was like, I will date you. Of course you did. Yeah. Also, didn't you say that Kalani, I think in this interview said that she never believed in marriage until she came out as a lesbian. Yep. And then it totally changed her perception of commitment and marriage and the institution and all of that. Yeah. Which I told you was the most like lesbian thing to ever say. Yes. But like, I think that's so beautiful because I really love commitment. I've, I've discovered this about myself. Like, I think commitment is amazing and like monogamy is really cool and like so special because I know that feeling. It's like really beautiful to think that like, you could have for many years not had that feeling. And then the thing that gives you that feeling is the um, process of like finally coming into yourself and like knowing what you really want and who you really love. Like those two things coming together, that's so beautiful. Cause like, guys, I don't know. Not everyone is like into commitment, but there's nothing better than when you like, when you're like, hey, you, you're mine and I'm yours. And like, we got each other. Like we got this, you and me. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I really felt this like relief when I knew who I was because I was like, I want commitment with the right woman. That's what I want. And I felt very nice to finally say that because yeah, the entire time I was dating men, I didn't really want to be with them. Like I said, I'd have fun with them. It was almost like my cousin even called me um, and said like, yo, you're so like, heartless when it comes to these guys you know which wasn't true you cared a lot about them and their feelings yeah of course i cared about their feelings i wasn't like a bitch or anything but i was i was like a little uh what's the word flaky aloof a little but like 
you still had a lot of like care in your heart. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I still do. Like, that's just me. But now I finally realized like, okay, I don't want to like necessarily be with you. Yeah. But I think also we've talked about this, like that's also part of who you are. Like you wear your heart on your sleeve when you like someone, you know it, like you just said. So when you don't like someone, even now with women, you will also be like a little bit aloof, but it's not, you're not like trying to hurt them. You just like aren't interested. (laughs) Exactly. And you know you're not interested because you're really good at that. Mm -hmm. You should teach a course, how to know when you're interested. (laughs) I would literally buy whatever price tag you put on it. I would pay for it. I would have some very like clear points. Yeah, it would be like the new lesbian Bible Google Doc by Persis Abraham. It'll be how to know if I'm interested. Oh my God, yeah. And all the girls who I've been interested in will be like, oh, we know. We knew she was. <laughs> we should get interviews from all of them for the Google Doc. Yeah, done. This is how I knew Persis was into me. <laughs> she hard-eyed me every chance she got. <laughs> she had glazed eyes every time she looked at my face. <laughs> Guys, I wish you could experience it. Like, they are actually glazed. <laughs> it's so cute. You look like a cartoon character. (laughs) Wait, Sarah, have you seen the eyes because I look at you with the hard eyes? Of course. I didn't want to say it, but there we go. All the time. Um, Here were just another couple points just to like sum this up about this list that Anjali put together um, about being attracted to men and dealing with compulsory heterosexuality. So she says that worrying that some of my past attractions towards men was actually real so you can't be a lesbian the amount of times i thought that i was always like i can't be a lesbian because i really did think this person was attractive and i probably Mm -hmm. still do think they're attractive yep but um guys you can still be a lesbian (laughs) that is okay yeah persis is exhibit a one of the last points was that the guys I like are always hyper-masculine who embody everything about manu- manliness. Oh, interesting. So I had someone actually ask me once. They were like, were you attracted to men who were a little bit more feminine or had like feminine qualities? I was like, honestly, no. The guys yeah. I was really into, like really into, were more mm-hmm. very manly. Right. Yeah, they were. They were they were either manly or they were like a very stereotypical preppy kind of white dude, like never never really in touch with their feminine side, but just like a dude, you know? It, it didn't mean that they were like muscly and like hitting things, but it just meant that they were like a dude with short hair and like wears a plaid shirt with like cargos, you know what I mean? <laughs> That does describe like many of the guys you dated in the it does. past. It really it does. does. And so that's compulsory heterosexuality like seeping into the type of men that you choose to date because you're looking for like the most hetero version of a man you can find. Oh yeah. Yep. It's a it's a journey. It's an absolute journey, but I'm like honestly grateful. There's many times I'm grateful for a lot of those experiences because I really did do so much learning. I learned through like all of those experiences. Oh my God. You learned so much. And it was really fun to like watch from the sidelines to see what would happen next. It was always very entertaining being your roommate because like there's always something going on. <laughs> was there? Did you, I, I know. I yeah. don't think we like really talked about that. 
Yeah, like there, like there was always something happening. I, I mean, I think, and we like we're in our twenties, having a good time. Yeah, but it was most exciting, like watching you like girls for the first time because you were just like on another level of yeah. emotion. <laughs> you were probably emotion. like, I've never seen her like this. Never. I was like, whoa, but in a in a, like a really fun way. Like it was, it was fun for me to be like, what's happening now? Do you remember you played guitar for me? After I slept with a girl for the first time. What? Yeah. Like right after? Like <laughs> the next day. Wait, what? I, ca- I came into your room <laughs> and told you. And you started strumming the guitar and saying the girl's name. What? I do not. <laughs> Listen, that is a good friend right there. Yeah. A good friend plays guitar for you after you have sex. I remember you like screamed because I think like you didn't know what happened and then I told you. And then you, I remember this like vision of you. You like jumped up and then you (laughs) ran to get your guitar and you started strumming. And you literally were like, I think you were making a joke out of it, but you started like singing her name. Oh my God. Did you like it or did you hate it? I think I was just like laughing. (laughs) Why? I can picture that bedroom too. Yeah. I can yeah. picture my old bedroom from that house. You know the one. I was like up in the attic. Wow. That's, I, that, I don't know. To me, that sounds kind of magical. I don't know how you guys listening feel about that. I feel like I would love if someone did that for me. It was very magical. I was just, yeah. I was trying to keep like the magic you were feeling alive for as long as possible. Oh, I was feeling something. I'll never forget that feeling. That next morning feeling like... It was amazing. Like just, it's more like the realization being like, I did that. Yeah. Wow. You did that, girl. Nothing was the same. Nothing was the same. My life literally changed after that. So nothing was the same. Thank God. I'm, I'm really grateful that happened. And I'm grateful that you, that I strummed the guitar for you. Me too. I have... A random thought that I don't know if it makes sense about compulsory heterosexuality. And I kind of just wanted to throw it out there in case it did. But what we were saying about you dating manly guys, Mm -hmm. I wonder if compulsive heterosexuality can kind of, so it works in that way. And then if it can almost work in an opposite way where like, as we all know, Persis is attracted to really femme presenting girls. And I wonder if like, that's almost a little bit of compulsive heterosexuality that seeped into you growing up of like the prettier the girl, the higher up they are in the status because they're going to be the most attractive to men. Like I think it's interesting that you would only go for manly men and you only really go for like femme presenting girls. And I, I, think, I think that at the end of the day, that's just who you're attracted to. But it just kind of popped into my mind. Like I wonder if compulsive heterosexuality plays a little bit of a role in that way, like without us even realizing it. That is a very, 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 very good point. I don't really know where that came from in me when it came to to women. I just know as a kid even, like I was so into femininity, but who knows? Like, is it because I grew up playing with like my Barbie dolls and I was idolizing like pop stars who are very feminine and pretty and Right, right. Like, I don't know, but I also want to make it very clear, too, that, like, yes, I love feminine girls, for sure. 
but it's not that I'm only like solely seeking out like they need to be this like feminine of presenting girl. Like I of course, yeah. I ultimately like really do fall for people with energy. It's like I've fallen for girls that maybe like if I saw them on the street, it's not like I would be like, oh, she's my type. Um, it is an energy right. thing. But Sarah, that's a really totally. good point. Like, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about like who we're attracted to and why. And even like, even if you think about like, there are so many queer girls who are really attracted to mask presenting women and women who have like a very masculine energy, whether that means they dress a certain way or they like walk a certain way or they have their hair or whatever, um, whatever way they choose to present themselves. And like, maybe that's some sort of compulsive heterosexuality that over the years shaped what they were most attracted to in the way someone looks. And even like, I've been thinking a lot lately about what I'm attracted to. And I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, P, but I really feel like I do not have a type. Like I am all over the map and it could be anyone. Like <laughs> it could be anyone. And I would be like, oh, wow, I'm attracted to them. I didn't, didn't maybe didn't think I would be. No, I um, agree. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking a lot lately about like, okay, well then what is it that like physically attracts me to someone? And is it just an energy thing? Or like, I don't know, thinking about is there any through line to my to the people that I've dated? And I haven't found one yet. I haven't figured it out. No, I love it. I find attraction such a fun conversation. Like I could talk about it with so many people because I think about it too. Like some girls I've been attracted to where I'm like, I I kind of know what I think would have like drew me in like physically, let's just say if you were like maybe more my type, mm -hmm. but there was an energy about you that made me like fall for you because I've also had experiences where someone was very much my type on paper, but I didn't feel that with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you've totally had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like the, I like the idea that it all comes down to energy at the end of the day. Yeah. That like if feels we, good. If we vibe. That feels good to me. I would much rather that than the most attractive person in the room. But purse, just to wrap up this whole conversation, why do you think learning about compulsory heterosexuality is so important? And why is this lesbian Bible crucial? For a number of reasons, actually. I think that learning about compulsory heterosexuality allows ourselves to be free from it. To free from it, to unlearn, and also like give ourselves that grace. I think like there were many times I would get frustrated. I would get mad at myself for feeling mm. certain ways or maybe I thought like why I was the way I was. Like that's actually probably the best way to sum it up. I was like, why am I like this really? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of in the conversation where we just had where I said I would dabble back and forth or I'd like one day I'd really like this guy and then the next day I was like, nope, or I don't know. Um, yeah. But I think if we really look into it as like what society put on us, it just makes so much sense. And you know, so many people feel that way. So I think, yeah, freeing from it is the biggest one. So that's why we need to know about it and uh, forgiving ourselves and just like letting ourselves be human because at the end of the day, we're all humans just trying to figure it out, trying to find love if we want it, trying to find a partner or partners like we just want, we just all want to be happy. And also like not to judge other people either. I don't judge others. Like I actually really don't. Like you do what you want to do. That's not my business. But I catch myself always wondering, are people going to judge me? 
if I say something or act in a way. Interesting. Interesting. Like, like, do you struggle with that? Like even now? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, did you like, for example, with the story about the thought you had about that guy was, would that be like something that you would fear people would judge you about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I totally get where that fear comes from. I mean, I think this is what held you back from coming out as gay for a little bit is because, well, you did identify as bi and you were figuring it out, but also you've talked about this. You were really scared of the word lesbian. You had a ton of internalized homophobia, like we all do. Like the worry that you can't go back, air quotes, guys, I'm using air quotes. And that must be the same kind of like feeling that comes up when you just have a thought about a hot guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, guys, literally like duh. I was drinking tea and a thought. <laughs> but what uh, type of tea? Ooh, chai tea. Oh, of course it was chai. What a sexy kind of tea. Chai is the sexiest tea. Maybe bangle spice. And then chai. Bagel spice is good, but it's true. I'd like, why? And I wasn't nervous to come on the pod and talk about it because I really thought like this has to do with compulsory heterosexuality. And yeah, I mean, I definitely did think like that's weird because it's it had been many years. For sure. For sure. But I'm so happy that you felt like empowered to talk about it and not scared of it because this is the kind of thing that we need to talk about. And this is the kind of thing that we need to not judge each other about and understand each other and see each other in each other. And that's the whole point of like this entire podcast. Yes. And I think like, I'm so happy that this Google Doc exists, mostly because you spent a long time thinking that you were the only one dealing with this shit and that you were weird or something or that something was wrong with you. And why am I the way I am? Like you said earlier, and none of that is true. So many people are going through these same things. I went through a lot of those same things as a straight girl. And this type of lesbian Bible provides a lot of, if not answers, at least really valuable questions that you might have never asked yourself before. So I'm really happy that you and probably a bajillion other people out there have been able to feel like they're not alone by reading something like this. And even this conversation made me feel so much more like I'm not alone. Good. Yeah, that makes me happy because like we said, it doesn't really matter your orientation. Like we all grow up, grew up in this type of society. Hundo P. It's the world. It's the world. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to change the world. Exactly. With our girl on girl merch. Yeah. Our girl on girl merch is designed to change the world. Please purchase so we can continue our impact. Exactly. Please and thank you very much. And wear it everywhere. And when someone, when you're out and about wearing your girl on girl beanie and someone's like, what's that? Girl on girl. You can be like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Listen. Or you can be coy and be like, but it's not what you think. Oh, I love that. Or, or you can just look at them and be like, yeah, it's what you think. Wink. I love it. Like Persis said at the beginning of this convo, we are going to link this amazing Google Doc in the show notes. So thank you, Anjali, for creating it. And thank you, Persis, for sharing it with the world. Oh, thank you. And thank you for also, you know, like talking about this and relating it to your own experiences. Because I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You never think about me. No. That was so clearly goes <clears throat> to show I don't think about you at all. 
you know, you don't think about what I might be going through or like my the hardships <laughs> that I face um, as a white straight girl. Like there's a lot that I go through, and I just I just wanted to make sure that was known. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this con- in this conversation. Well, it's on a podcast now. Oh, guys, I can't believe you let us do this every week. Our one-year anniversary. This episode, guys, I just realized this. This episode is going to come out the day before our one-year anniversary. Oh, my God. Persis, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. One year. Wow. We've been doing this. That's wild. Okay, before before we sign off. If you could talk to Persis one year ago, the on the eve of launching her podcast, what would you say to her? Oh my God. Okay. I would tell her, girl, I am so proud of you for creating this podcast with Sarah, for being so open and vulnerable and like continuing to do so on a really big platform. And to talk about topics that you never thought you would talk about publicly, but also the fact that like people are going to be resonating with what you both have to say and the topics you have to cover. And this is really going to help people. So you're just doing the damn thing and keep on doing it because I feel like you were meant to be doing this. I think for so many years, I, I kind of wasn't sure if I should even be doing this or even thought like, oh my God, should I start a podcast? Like everybody has a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was my hangout. Yep. But no. And clearly, like, we've built a small little community through this. And, like, I couldn't be more grateful. Like, girl on girl is my favorite part of the week, honestly. Like, I love same. it so much. Oh, my God. Same. 100%. Oh, that makes me so happy. Oh, my God. A year ago, Sarah had no idea what was coming. She was so innocent. Um, I would tell year ago, Sarah, on the eve of launching our podcast, that um, girl, you are about to embark on a journey that you literally never thought you would embark on. You never planned for this, and you are going to be ten thousand percent more vulnerable on a public forum than you ever ever thought you would be, and that that is good and okay and important. And that you are making an impact in this small way that you thought would kind of just be like a fun, like side thing, hobby, like a funny whatever. It actually turned into something that is like a big part of your purpose in your daily life. It's just cool to have like a thing like, yeah, it's the favorite part of my week, just like you. But it's also cool to have a thing that, like I said, brings purpose into your every single day. Like, I think that's pretty rare because people, like, go about their daily jobs and, like, even our day jobs, you know, we're just going through the motions sometimes. It doesn't always feel purposeful, but, like, this every single time feels like we have a purpose and we have a mission and we have a goal and we're doing it for, like, a reason that feels really authentic and true and it doesn't feel frivolous or, like... No. I don't know. It doesn't feel, like, unimportant. So I would tell her, like, just take it seriously and have fun, but, like, get ready for um, a wild ride. And you're going to interview Fifi fucking Dobson. So just, like, you know, maybe prepare a little more for that interview because you're going to be a little shaky shakes. 
You might um, black out. You might black out and then come to when the interview's over and you're like, wait, what? But you're gonna be you're gonna be good and you're gonna be okay because you're gonna be having a good time and doing it with your bestie. Um no, I love that. And I think like the fact that we've also just like seen each other through so much has really, really helped really like bring this podcast to life because Sarah, we talked about it so much on this episode. She's seen me through a lot of situations and I've also seen her through a lot. So a I lot. it feels like we were growing up and we still are but now it just feels like we're reflecting on a lot of moments and I think that's just like so beautiful we grew up a lot in the last year and I and you know what we should do one year from now we should play this clip back yes we should and listen to it and we'll be like oh my god we knew nothing we knew nothing then are you kidding me Ah, we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening for a whole year. We're so grateful for you. And we can't wait to do another year of this thing if you'll have us. Because we'd love to keep doing this until the end of time. The end of time. Yeah, which is probably going to be soon. So Yeah, so let's be real. Maybe a few more years of this. That'll be fun. (laughs) Well, to end on that really dark and scary note. (laughs) Love you guys. Love you, P. Love you, podcast. Love you, as Love you, friends. And love you, Kehlani and Kittens. Thank you for bringing up compulsory heterosexuality. And Anjali for making the whole thing happen. Oh, my God. And Anjali, yes. Okay, Persis. Everyone prepare themselves because we... As you guys know, in case you missed it, sometimes it's a celebratory one and sometimes it's a chance for us to just get really angry and yell about stuff. And uh, this is going to be the latter because we are going to talk about something we've been wanting to talk about for a bit, but we haven't had a chance until right now and we thought it was really important. So you've probably seen this on your social media and such. Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. That's not actually what it's called. It has like a numeric name. But critics are calling it the Don't Say Gay Bill because that's literally what it is. Um, It's set to become law in this summer of 2022. And essentially what this bill does is it seeks to ban discussions surrounding sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. And it would also give parents the power to sue anyone who violates that ban. Anyone who talks about queerness in the classroom could potentially be they could face repercussions, whether it's just like getting in trouble by their principal or getting in trouble from the parents or getting sued. Oh Um, my God. Yes. So the proposed bill as it stands right now says that school districts can't, and I'm quoting here, encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. Now, it's very important to point out here that the bill does not define what they mean by age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. They don't say like, here's what age appropriate is. Here are the ages that are appropriate to learn about queerness. So it uses extremely vague language, which we're going to talk about in a bit because that's part of why this is such a dangerous bill. Just so everyone has an understanding of both sides, supporters of this bill, the people who want it to happen, they say that the goal of it is to regulate discussions about queer identity and empower parents to lead and be involved in those conversations. But critics of the bill 
aka us, say that schools are sometimes the only safe place for queer youth and that the legislation would ultimately hurt kids who aren't ready to come out to their parents yet or they feel unsupported at home. And on top of that, if queerness and gender identity as a topic is completely banned from being talked about in the classroom, then that opens the floodgates for queer kids to be bullied by other students. Because once you ban something, you're telling people that it's bad or it's wrong or it's weird or it's a taboo, whatever. Um, and for a lot of parents of queer kids, that's a big worry for them along with a ton of other stuff. But it's like, how will the other kids feel about my kid now that they're now that talking about queerness is literally not allowed by state government in the classroom. What the hell? Yeah. So like we said earlier, the bill uses really vague language. It's kind of just like umbrella statements, like overarching, you know, like like we said, age appropriateness, like what does that actually mean? They don't define it. And the reason why that can be dangerous is because it means that pretty much any teacher in the entire Florida school board or any district could be challenged or sued for discussing LGBTQ plus topics with students. Like there's no boundaries of like what's allowed and what's not because the statements are so vague, it opens the door for anything to happen and ultimately for more prejudice and hate to occur. Um, and that's dangerous. Like when a bill is really vague like that, it's um, no bueno. So we already don't like this bill. After putting forward the bill that we just talked about, the legislators who created it proposed an amendment to the bill that would, guys, get this, it would require school principals to disclose a child's sexual orientation to their parents within six weeks if they find out a student has come out as other than straight. So within six weeks of finding out a kid is queer, they would be required by law to tell their, the parents of that kid. Yes. So obviously this amendment was, Persis is literally speechless right now. Um, this amendment was criticized really harshly. And actually, on February 22nd, so, so very recently, um, the legislators actually pulled that amendment from the bill because they said it was getting too much criticism and it was distracting from the main goal of the bill. Essentially, it was distracting from the bill being like put into action. They thought, okay, we went a little bit too far with this amendment. Let's get it out of here. Um, and then we'll just continue with like um, the regular bill. What the f- I I literally speechless. I don't know what to say. We yeah, we are both speechless, and we also have many, many, many thoughts on this. The first one being why, 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 why? Why is it needed? Why? Why is it needed? Why was it created? Who asked for this? Um, I don't know about you, P, but the only logical reason I can see behind why this bill was created is homophobia. Mm-hmm. It's the only one I can see because what this bill is trying to do is it's trying to protect, air quotes, protect kids from talking about sexual identity too early, air quotes, without their parents' consent. Why do kids need to be protected from that? By telling kids they need to be protected from talking about their sexual identity, you're telling them that they shouldn't talk about their sexual identity because that's a bad thing to talk about. It's homophobia. That, like... They shouldn't embrace talking about their sexual identity. They should 
avoid it until a certain age that's appropriate. I don't know what age they think is appropriate to start talking about it. Because meanwhile, kids are groomed for heterosexuality immediately after they leave the freaking womb. Kids are talking about, yeah, like even if you're not explicitly talking about sexuality as a kid, yeah, you're being shown sexuality in movies and TV shows. You're being shown like romantic relationships and nobody's freaking out about that. No, because they're heterosexual relationships. And you see it all the time when adults go up to like a literal two-year-old boy and say, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a girlfriend yet? Like you're, we are as a society constantly pushing heterosexuality on kids, like babies. Like have you seen um, like onesies, like graphic tees or onesies for kids and babies that say like something heterosexual on it? Like, oh, um, like heartbreaker heartbreaker like watch out boys or like or whatever like um we think it's cute when babies and kids when we think of them in like a way of being romantic heterosexual like it's that's just like what we do as a society because we're weird so that's okay but when it comes to Anything other than heterosexuality, oh, it's not appropriate to talk about it until a certain age. That's just straight up homophobia. Is this another thing where maybe people with twisted minds are thinking that if they're talking about queerness, that kids will turn gay? Yes, exactly. I think what I think happened with this bill, and guys, I'm not an expert, I don't know, but ultimately, obviously, it's a Republican bill coming from the church, I'm sure conservative religious people who don't want homosexuality to be pushed air quotes on their kids and that is scary because if queerness and gender identity can't be talked about openly in schools then queer kids are going to lose that safe space yeah and it's true schools aren't always a safe place for queer kids but like a lot of times they are and if their home life isn't safe then the classroom might be the, might be the only place where they feel really like they can be themselves and they're with their friends and they're with their teachers who they look up to or whatever it is. I just like, because I mean, I thought that we were like getting more progressive, at least in schools. Right. Adding things to the curriculum and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I that I really thought it was going in the right direction, but just seeing something like this, Coming from Florida, of course, it's Florida. Um, That's what I was going to say. Like, Florida gets a lot of heat, but it's because of stuff like this. Like, yeah. are we really that surprised that Florida is the place where something like this is happening? They need to get their shit together in Florida. Way back. <laughs> it's so backwards. It's so backwards. Like, what year are we living in? Absolutely. And it's telling It's telling all kids, no matter their their sexual identity – what is right and wrong about their sexual identity. And that's not okay. And in researching this, in case you missed it, I was um, I was reading a USA Today article and they interviewed this mom whose son um, is in the queer community. And she told the story of um, her son around grade four, he started to 
feel really sad and he didn't know why and he wasn't able to articulate it he couldn't find the words to to explain like why he was so sad all the time his sex ed classes at school were separated by boys and girls and a lot of other things in school were like starting to be more like gendered and he was assigned female at birth but he just didn't feel like he belonged in like the girls class for example like something just felt off and he felt so sad and so Eventually, he started talking about gender identity to his friends at school and to other people at school, and that empowered him to talk to his mom, who then, his mom, reached out to the school for support, and she asked the counselors and the teachers and the people who are around her son the most for, like, guidance, and they all worked together to help her and her son, like, navigate what was happening. And then finally, by eighth grade, he officially changed his pronouns to he, him with the school board. And the mom was saying, like, his happiness just, like, his whole mental health completely changed and that unhappiness he was feeling went away. And the reason that she was telling the story was because she believes, as the mother, that if this bill had been in place, it would have changed the entire trajectory of her son's happiness. He found so much support that he needed at school, not just from the counselors and the teachers, but also from his friends and other students. So if he wasn't able to be open about that and get the support he needed, who knows how long he might have been unhappy. Maybe he wouldn't have felt empowered to talk to his mom about it because he wasn't able to talk about it at school because it's a banned topic. I think that's just a good example of like how damaging this bill could be. Yeah, it's scary. It's actually like straight up terrifying and very dangerous. And it leaves room for like so much trauma for increased rates of suicide. Yeah. Like this is a life or death kind of bill. Yeah, it is like no word of a lie. And it makes me really scared for kids, like young kids who are going to be in this environment. Learning that out about queerness, yeah, it can't be discussed. You are just, it's just like going back towards like kids already who are like suppressing these feelings. Like, in what world does that just seem like a good idea? Like, yeah, you know what? Let's not push queerness onto these kids because it's not age appropriate and they're too young to be talking about this stuff. Like, what are we talking about? What do you think we're talking about? Of course. And also, like, to make a comparison, they think that by talking about sexual identity, it's pushing sexual identity on kids. It's not. It's educating everyone about the realities of life and sexuality. If you are teaching kids about math, are you pushing math on the kids? Like, are you pushing them to be mathematicians. You know no, what I mean? Like it's education. Like if you're going to make a comparison between other subjects, because sex ed is a subject in school, queerness is now part of that curriculum in so many places in the country. Like I said, it's homophobia. It's not, it's homophobia disguised as like some sort of protecting the kids something. It's not, they're not protecting the kids from anything. If anything, you're hurting the kids and you're um, taking away like, a really beautiful safe space from them. I just wanted to say that this also, we're talking about the kids a lot, but this also puts um, teachers and educators in a really horrible position. Um, I saw this ad that, um, I think you might have seen it too, Purse. It was in the post that Matt XIV posted, 
And so um, some people who are trying to stop this bill, bill from being passed, they created like an like an advertisement kind of to get, spread the word. And in this advertisement, there was a young girl and she's in the classroom and it's speech day. So she has to go up and uh, say her speech that she wrote. And the topic of the speech was my hero. And she like takes a deep breath and then she starts saying, my heroes are my two moms. And then all of a sudden, like this alarm goes off in the classroom. That's like state approved topics only, state approved topics only. And the teacher like takes a deep breath and she's like, no, you should be proud of this. Keep going. And then as soon as she said, keep going, like keep saying your speech, you hear like an announcement on the overhead, on the PA that's like, Mrs whatever, please come to the principal's office. Like the teacher is, is about to get reprimanded because she let the student talk about her um, moms. two moms. And like, I just, if I was an educator, this would really concern me. And I would, and now I would be like super unclear on how I'm supposed to navigate this because now it puts me and like my job and my life at risk. Yeah. Well, not life, but like my career and my livelihood. So yeah, of course. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned, like, this goes beyond just the kids. I'm scared Me for too. Florida. Me too. Well, I would just say move out of Florida, girl. Yeah, come move to Canada, please. Come to Canada, please. All our, all our friends come because, you know, we're not perfect here, but, but, you know, you can talk about queerness in the classroom. And the very last thing I'll say about this is this is awful, and we really hope that this bill, like, either doesn't come into effect or somehow gets – changed or something but in the meantime like i don't know about you purse but i do have a little bit of hope for this generation of kids only because they have the world in the palm of their hand like they have all the information and education and representation they could need like literally in their hand and this is kind of like a blanket statement but i do think that they're going to be able to have conversations about queerness maybe in other ways even if they're not allowed to have them in the classroom and like kids these days are watching euphoria where there is like where characters like rue and jules are like openly queer characters and and it's no biggie and it's like very like that's the kind of culture that they're growing up in that's and true. so you know so i'm i have a little bit of hope that at least this generation has access to queerness in their everyday life if they if they live in florida and they can't like learn about it in the classroom where maybe that wouldn't have been the case 30 years ago that's a very good point i have a lot of faith in the generation and i really do have a lot of faith in like kids cuz i mean i even kind of think back to when I was in high school and growing up in a Catholic high school where queerness was never discussed, but it was definitely instilled in us as a sin. But yeah. I think I even told you, Sarah, like none of my friend group believed it. No one, I don't, there were so many people in my high school who, as much as I said, it was a very straight high school. There were many people who I talked to and hung out with that I never felt like it wasn't a safe space to be gay. You know what I mean? Totally. So, I don't know. Yeah. I like you, what you said is right. I think that generation does have all this information literally right at their hands. And we are, uh, as a society, like in general, there's so much queerness being represented. So, yeah, I mean, that is good. That is a good sign. Yeah. It's like the one silver lining I could, I could come up with <laughs> for this 
But uh, yeah, if you guys, if we missed anything about this story or we got anything wrong or if you have any questions about this bill, shoot us a DM at Girl X Girl Podcast and let us know. We'd love to like keep talking about this because it's, it's an evolving like news story. And if you're from Florida and you want to chat about this, please let us know. We'd love to talk to you and see, see what it's like because we're just so far removed from Florida. So yeah, well, this is sad in case you missed it. I know. I I kind of like hate doing the sad ones, but then also like it feels kind of good to get angry about about like this kind of shit. Uh, and it's important to talk about. So hopefully we didn't leave you guys on too much of a bummer. <laughs> um, uh, what can we? How can we end to make them smile? Hmm. What can we do? Point. What can we say? Why don't we tell them a joke? Okay, I'm really bad at jokes. Like if someone's like, "Tell me a joke," I'm like. I don't know. Okay, here's a joke. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? What did he say? Supplies! Oh my god, that was bad. Wait, I have a joke. Also, I think the proper term for them is custodian. I just had to say that. Oh, okay, the custodian. Did you laugh? I don't I don't even remember if you laughed. I laughed. Okay. <laughs> um, Your turn. Make okay. me laugh. Okay. I always thought this was funny. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. So, Sarah. Yeah? I was just listening to the radio on my way into town. Apparently, an actress just killed herself. What? Okay. This is not funny. Yeah, I can't remember her name. I think it was like Reese something. Witherspoon? No, it was with a knife. (laughs) Versus! not the happy ending we were looking for <laughs> okay i'm sorry <laughs> okay okay i have one for you are you ready <clears throat> i stole this from from someone so if the person's listening which they're probably not sorry i'm stealing your joke purse did you hear that kim kardashian is gonna have her own and sandwich just like you know the travis scott mcdonald's burger and stuff yeah but Kim's um, is going to be called Beyond Pete. <laughs> My face. Man. I thought you'd like that one. They'll <clears throat> shut down A&W for that reason. No, never. I, I love my Beyond Meat burgers too much. You mean you're Beyond Pete? Yeah. That was wink, a good wink. way. That was a good way to end the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that gave you guys a little bit of a smile. <laughs> and I know I'm definitely smiling. Me too. I'm cheesing over here. Cheesing. Um, and we love you guys. We love you guys. And um, keep keep sending us topic ideas. Keep chatting with us. We love you. Always and forever. XOXO. SMP. Keep smiling. Keep, keep shining. Shine. That's what friends Ends are for. Up.